Well, please join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And today in 1 Corinthians 14, we're going to take on two, we could call hot topics. We're going to talk about the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. And we're going to see that Paul here describes these gifts as good. He has them included in the list of spiritual gifts back in chapter 12. And now he's going to talk about them here in this passage. We know that the Corinthians in their church there were abusing these gifts. Particularly, they were abusing the gift of tongues. They were being disruptive and divisive yet again in their church. So here's, a, here's a passage where Paul's going to try to teach the Corinthians how to handle these two gifts. Now, a key question for us is this. Are these gifts still given to believers today? And if so, how so? And you know that differing denominations handle these things uh, differently. So even sometimes within a denomination, there might be a bit of a range of how the believers handle these types of gifts. We know that there are denominations that we would describe as charismatic denominations, Pentecostal denominations. There's even a movement, the New Apostolic Reformation. There are these movements in Christianity. And these are folks who are kind of all in on these spiritual gifts, and they'll kind of push the edges with all kinds of uh, experiences that they say are normative. Uh, so they, they'll be talking a lot about prophecy, a lot about tongues, interpretation of dreams, uh, forecasting who's going to win elections, and things like that. We'll see that in the Pentecostal movements. Then there are those who would say that on the other side of this, that they are cessationists, Meaning that these revelatory gifts ceased with the apostles. So when the first century apostles moved off the scene, we had the completed scriptures. We had the Bible. No need for now any new revelations. So gifts like these no longer are in operation. Then there are some in the body of Christ who would say, well, I can't call myself an all-out cessationist. I can't see that necessarily from the scripture. So they would describe themselves as somewhat open to these gifts but very, very cautious because of all the excess that is seen. So I'll hold my cards to my chest a little bit here. I got to give you something to look forward to. Uh, I'll, I'll share more of where I am as we go deeper into the text. What we're going to do is we're going to take on these 25 verses. Next week, we'll take on the remainder of this chapter. But the first 25 verses, we're going to go at a pretty steady clip so that then we can talk about some of these questions like that I've just raised and some application for ourselves as we take these 25 verses, and we're going to read them all together, but I think we can group these into three main points that Paul had as the Spirit guided him to write to the Corinthians. And the first point is this one. Regarding spiritual gifts, seek the benefit of the body of Christ and not just yourself. When it comes to the exercise of any spiritual gift, seek the benefit of the body of Christ and not just yourself. And this takes us to verse 1. Paul writes, pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So notice here, Paul, as he moves into chapter 14... 
he really springs from what he just wrote about in 1 Corinthians 13. So if you were with us last time, that great love chapter, but we said even there, that's not just a, a writing on love just dropped in kind of without context. Context is the understanding and exercise of spiritual gifts. He began that in chapter 12, now love here, and now he continues that, that theme of love here with here, pursue love as he moves back into this. So everything we do should be for the building up expressed out of love for other brothers and sisters in Christ. Second point, Paul points to the superiority of prophecy over the gift of tongues. Now this takes us to verse 5. Paul writes, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So Paul's just making the point here that, that plain talking in the church is more helpful. Then Paul illustrates this point, and he's going to do it in a couple of ways. And so he's making a point again by illustration that clear speaking is better. Verse 7, if even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. So Paul makes the point here that the way the Corinthians were using this gift of tongues, they were just making noise in the gathered assembly. It was not helping anyone. Perhaps they were full of exuberance. They were full of emotion. They were excited about what they were doing, but it wasn't helping anybody else because nobody else knew what they were saying. Remember back in chapter 13, verse 1, we talked about if we do anything and we don't have love, we are a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And likewise here, he uses the analogy, talks about flutes and harps. If they don't make distinct notes, what good is it? But here he gives the an analogy of the military. And in militaries in the past, sometimes they would use a horn or a bugle to sound that, hey, we're going to charge now. That would need to be a precise note played or rhythm played so everybody knows the message if it's just random notes being played people won't know whether to charge in the battle or run and go get something to eat and so paul makes the point it needs to be clear then he gives another analogy where he talks about known languages here in verse 10 let's keep reading there are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning but if i do not know the meaning of the language i'll i will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker, a foreigner to me. So if you've ever traveled overseas, if you've ever served overseas, you know that being with the same language helps a lot. The fact that you are learning a language so that you can speak a language. So having a language, if nobody understands it, doesn't profit you at all. Many of you who have lived overseas, you remember when you lived in a place where English wasn't readily spoken, you felt like a preschooler when you left your house. In fact, this unnerving feeling like, I don't even know how to tell people where I live. If I get lost, how will I get home? I don't have the language. Nobody will speak this language. And so a language is only good if other people know it. It's no good to you unless other people understand you when you talk. Years ago, I was traveling in India 
And I was in auto, an auto rickshaw heading to the airport. So I had my luggage there, had a ride. It's just a rickshaw driver and me in this motorized rickshaw. And he turned and said something to me. And I only knew a little Hindi. And so I said to him, the little Hindi that I knew, I said, Nahi Samja, meaning I don't understand. And so what did he do when I said Nahi Samja to him? He said it again to me, only this time a little louder. Right? <laughs> and so... I don't have anything else to tell him except for nahi samja. <laughs> I don't understand. Guess what he did? He got even louder. And I'm getting tickled by it. I'm trying not to laugh in his face, but I know what he's doing. And I'm thinking, sir, the problem is not volume. It's vocabulary. I have no idea. And I can't even tell you that. I thought it was funny even then. But then it reminded me, I did this to, I did this to internationals in America. See, we Americans are known for this. We'll, spot, we'll talk more loudly to an international person here thinking it's going to help. And I did this years ago, and I thought about it in the rickshaw. Years ago in our life group in Memphis, uh, there was this couple that, that came to our life group for the first time. And to me, I, I thought they must be from China. They, they looked like they were from China. And so this couple. And so uh, I hadn't traveled overseas yet, and I did the, the typical thing. I said to this, what I assumed to be a Chinese couple, I said, hello, where are you from? And the man with a more southern accent than mine, he responded and said, Sledge, Mississippi? Oh. I thought, I was way off. <laughs> Again, volume's not the issue. What good is a language if the other people don't know your language? And this is what Paul is saying to them. You're not blessing anybody if you're just spouting off with sounds. Even if you feel edified, it's just noise if nobody understands you. Well, Paul then now repeats the point about the superiority of clear words in worship in verses 12 through 19. Let's read those now. So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul clearly is telling them that he had the gift of tongues there, but that he would not really prefer to use it in the church, rather speak clear words. Notice that word built up over and over again. I want the body of Christ built up. They're going to need to understand what's happening for that to be the case. And then these final uh, verses that we'll take on today, verses 20 through 25, the idea here is speak clearly to both unbelievers and believers. Verse 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners. Will I speak to this people? And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your mind? 
But if all prophecy and if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Paul here in this passage is correcting the Corinthians over their fascination and overuse of this gift of tongues. He's calling them out of immaturity to maturity. He wants them to care more about unbelievers than themselves, care, care for more, more for other believers than for themselves. So now let's take on some questions now. So what was speaking in tongues? Where do we see this in the scriptures? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, we find our first reference to this thing called tongues. And it was at the occasion of Pentecost. By the way, again, Acts 2, verses 1 through 13, you can read this perhaps this afternoon. And it was an occasion where the believers had gathered together at this festival of Pentecost, and they received the Holy Spirit just as Jesus had promised. Remember, when we were in our upper room series, we had Jesus promising, I'm going to give you the Spirit. He's going to remind you of everything that I've ever taught you. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so as promised, the Holy Spirit fell upon the believers there in a dramatic way, indwelling them. And 3,000 people were saved on that occasion. Remember, Peter was preaching and Jewish people gathered from around the Roman Empire and other places with various languages, heard the gospel in their languages. It was a great miracle of God. Again, 3,000 saved, 3,000 baptized. That's the first occasion of tongues there. It was a sign to unbelievers. It was a tool for evangelism on that particular occasion. We also see tongues in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. It was in a man Cornelius's house. Peter had gone to him after a vision, that, that vision where all foods were declared clean. But the point was that these Gentiles, these Gentiles, non-Jews, are going to be coming into the family of God. And on that occasion, when these Gentile people believed, they also had this gift of tongues. And that was a sign to the Jewish believers, okay, same salvation has come to the Gentiles. Same Holy Spirit has come to them. It helped everybody know, okay, they're, they're getting the real experience of Jesus as we had. Then the other occasion in Acts where we read of tongues is Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7 in Ephesus. Paul comes upon some people who were only acquainted with the baptism of John. He preaches the gospel to them, shares with them. They come to faith in Christ, baptized in the name of Jesus now, and they speak with tongues. These are the only references to tongues there. Many other people were saved. It's recorded to us in the book of Acts. And in all those other occasions, we're not reading that. And then tongues was theirs. Always tongues with that. And so that's an important thing for us to know. In fact, note this. In the rest of the New Testament, we don't read anything else about tongues except for in 1 Corinthians 12, which we saw a couple weeks ago here. And then now here we are in chapter 14, where Paul tries to help the Corinthians put it in a proper perspective. So the problem in Corinth was the abuse and misuse of tongues in the public worship in Corinth. They had unduly exalted this gift. They were self-centered in their exercise of this gift. They were becoming distracting and destructive with it. Now notice here, Paul does not put down the gift of speaking in tongues, but he does want to put it in its proper place, comparing it to prophecy here. So here's a key question for us then, practically. Is tongues a gift that God gives today? And I would answer, I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. But, but we do know this. So we see it in the scripture here. We see it in uh, the book of Acts here. And we see it taught about here. So 
it, some people would say there are two different types of tongues, that it's known languages like at Pentecost, maybe unknown tongues, which it seems like Paul might be talking about, 1 Corinthians 14. Others say, no, it's always a, a real language. And the miracle like at Pentecost is people hearing the gospel in their own language. But here's what we do know, that every believer is not intended to speak with other tongues. So we know that. Because we were in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 30, and we had those rhetorical questions. Does everybody prophesy? Does everybody speak in tongues? And the answer to all those was no. No, everybody doesn't have this gift. You'll meet people who will say, that no, no. If you're saved and if you have the Holy Spirit, you will speak in tongues. That's just not scriptural at all. Also, speaking in tongues is not the sign that you are full of the Holy Spirit. So everybody's not intended to speak in tongues. And... It's not a sign that you are full of the Holy Spirit. It's not a sign that you're mature. You may have met believers who, who look at you like, oh, well, you're, you're, you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then you're not as mature. You're not on the same spiritual plane as I am. And uh, just, just be reminded that in Corinth, where they were exercising this gift, I can't think of a more immature church than the church at Corinth. He calls them out for it right here. He said, you're, you're acting like inf infants. You need to be mature. You're being self-centered in this. So it's, it's really poor interpretation on the part of those in the charismatic movement to make this normative for every Christian coming after them. They fail to recognize that what we see in the book of Acts, it's very descriptive. It's descriptive of how this unique time when the Holy Spirit is coming as Jesus promised in this new way upon the new covenant believers. They, they fail to recognize, of course, that was unique and, and how all that happened. But we don't find that taught throughout the scriptures that we all should expect a second blessing, that we all should expect a second baptism. That's not what we found, find taught in the scriptures. So we also know this, and we just think practically, that speaking in tongues in our day is something that could be easily mimicked. And in fact, I'm sure it is in many cases, because in those churches where they tell you you must speak in tongues you you don't have the holy spirit or you're not full of the spirit unless you speak in tongues can you imagine the in, the incredible pressure on a person in a church like that well i guess i have to and so they will tell you they'll probably teach you how to speak in tongues well just close your eyes and just begin to make some sounds and i would imagine in a number of people who feel that pressure that they're going to they want this gift and they believe it's operative and everybody tells them it's evidence that you have the holy spirit a lot of people are going to be making some noises, maybe get excited about the noises they're making. And so there's a, there's a real power of suggestion here, a lot of emotion here. And so we just need to be very guarded here in, in when people make the claims of it. So we also know this, like in Corinth, speaking in tongues in public uh, without an interpreter was wrong. So sometimes when you watch the charismatic churches, by the way, you can kind of tap in online and you can watch how they do. Very often it's somebody who's kind of shouting out with some ecstatic speech and, uh, and it's, there's, there's no interpretation uh, given with it. So oftentimes even in error there. And even today, many people get distracted and in error by insisting on this practice. So again, the question, is it for today? So we could say theologically, we could say it's possible. You know, we, we don't know. Some people say absolutely not, but some would say, well, listen, I, I'm open to that possibility, but I am very, very cautious. I know this in the gatherings I've been in where there has been speaking of tongues, and even when there's been interpretation, and years ago visiting some relatives, I would on occasion uh, sit in on those type of charismatic services. I, I was never, never impressed by that. 
I was never thinking, you know what? They've got something I don't have. They have more of the Holy Spirit than I have. And really, when they would do this in the church and somebody would get up and interpret, you know, the best I could give it on those occasions was maybe, maybe. So what, what do I do with this person who's claiming to have a, now a revelation of this? God said to say this fact. I remember on one occasion, Joy and I were in this service up in Northern Virginia visiting relatives, and this woman gave an interpretation uh, maybe it was a prophecy he was given, but she just said something like, uh, I am your portion, I am your portion, says the Lord. And I thought, I don't know what to do with that. I know the Bible uses that type of language, but I have no idea if that was of God or she's just talking. I suspected that she just was excited and said those words. Maybe something she read in the Bible that day. I, don't, I just don't know what to do with it because we have the Bible. I'll say this, that if I meet somebody and they tell me that they have a a prayer language that they have this gift. I don't debate people over it. I'm not looking to try to stamp out uh, somebody, how, how they're operating this way. But certainly as a church family, as you've noticed, as you've been coming to church for years, we don't have a part of the service where we're inviting people to speak in tongues and interpretation of tongues and words of prophecy, which we're going to talk about next. Um, again, because we have the word of God, a very sure, the very sure revelation of God, uh, this is much more edifying for us. Well, then what about the gift of prophecy? Here's what we know here. Uh, there was certainly a gift of prophecy operating in the Old Testament. And so we read about Moses in the prophecies and, and how God used him as a prophet of God. And Jeremiah and Isaiah, Micah, Amos, and so many others. And we thank God for those who could legitimately in the Old Covenant say, thus says the Lord. And it was the Lord. And their prophecies, by the way, always came true. You knew a false prophet would be stoned to death in the old covenant. If you're not right, you are not a prophet of God. And so they were very careful about false prophets. There were plenty of those in the old covenant as well. So we know this, there was certainly a gift of prophecy in the early church. So we have the apostle Paul uh, being given what we know as scripture. He's, he's writing here. We're, we're studying together first Corinthians and other parts of the New Testament. We, we know like the apostle John there, remember on the island of Patmos in exile, he receives a revelation, we call it the book of Revelation, of what is to come, what's happening now in heaven, and what is to come. We thank God that he did indeed speak through the apostles in the first century. We are grateful for that. But uh, I personally do not believe there are any prophets now in that Old Testament sense or in this New Testament apostle sense. Even though there are those in this new apostolic reformation who are claiming all oh, the prophets, that, that gift of apostle and prophets, it's been unleashed in our generation and all this is happening, uh, not at all credible. In fact, I'll share with you why I feel that way and believe that way in just a moment. Today, though, if you and I want to be prophetic, you know how we do it? We open the Bible and we proclaim the scriptures. This is the only place where you and I can reliably say, thus says the Lord. When we're reading from his word, we can bank on it. Again, we say at best, if somebody says something else, we go, I don't, I don't know. I couldn't make any life change. I wouldn't change my plans for lunch today. If somebody said, Jim, I, I got a word for you. Don't eat that taco. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Unless the health department has told them something, you know. But I mean, I can't, I can't alter my comings and goings based on somebody's subjective word, you know. And, uh, but the word of God, if we're wise, we'll build our lives on the truth of scripture. And we can speak prophetically when we declare what God has given us reliably. We will not go off the rails when we do that. What else do we know? We know, though, that our God is a living God. 
And we, we do count on God to help us. So I think about people like me who preach the Word of God. I'm desperate for God to help me in the preparation of sermons and the delivery of sermons. And I know our life group leaders who are, who are right now, some of you are thinking about your lesson. You're about to teach your people. Some people are teaching right now. And every one of those life group leaders, when we're, when we're preparing like we ought to, Lord, would you help me to understand your Word correctly? Would you help me apply this and use illustrations that will be helpful to people? And we believe that God helps us, uh, even in the here and now, in that. Not in a prophetic sense, but God is a living God. He's helping us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. So, in fact, one of the things I enjoy as a pastor, when some of you will tell me on occasions, like, wow, I needed that message. Sometimes you'll tell me like this, it was like you were in the car with us when we were driving to church this morning. I mean, that was exactly what we were talking about. It was exactly what we needed here. I wouldn't claim that I'm a prophet when that happens. But God's a living God. We're asking for help. I'm always amazed by that. Well, that's cool because all I knew was I'm studying and I'm putting it together. That's just God able to orchestrate and use us. We know that God can use any one of us to, to give a word of encouragement, a truthful word from Scripture to each other. So in that sense, are we, are we prophets? In that sense, yes, that not, not like we, we could wear the title, but God could use you to be a blessing. You could give good godly counsel to another brother or sister in the church. And so a living God can use us and steer us like that. But we're not seeking new revelation. And we're very guarded if somebody says, I have a, I have a new word for you. I can tell you what's going to happen next year. God has told me. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. In fact, so many of them have been proven false. Some of them give very vague prophecies. A lot of times they'll use that word destiny. God told me that you're going to be stepping into your destiny next year. I don't even know what that means. That can mean anything you want it to mean. But sometimes they will declare who's going to win an election. And they're wrong about those things. And they'll double down and still be even more wrong. So we want to be very discerning with anybody who claims to be a prophet in a New Testament or even Old Testament sense. You do know that there have been false prophets who have done great damage, who've led millions astray. So where did Mormonism come from? The, the, the temple down the street. Where did those things come from? The, the prophet, the false prophet, Joseph Smith, and the damage done when someone comes along, now I know you have your Bible, but God, God has told me this, and you follow me, millions led to eternal destruction through Mormonism because of a false prophet, Joseph Smith. We, we need to be very discerning when someone comes saying they bring another word. Or, or Charles Russell, the one who's led millions astray and, and the, the false teachers after him in Jehovah's Witnesses. And so we must be very, very guarded here. So, so for me, to be, speak very candidly, while I believe God can do anything he wishes to do, I, I just don't believe any of the self-proclaimed prophets of today. So, and, and so here's what I've done over the last couple of weeks, knowing that I'd be teaching on this passage. I wanted to be charitable. I wanted to be fair to those in the charismatic movements and the Pentecostal movements. I didn't want to speak about things I did not know. And so, not that I haven't studied these things before, but, but it's on now. i got to preach to you. And so I spent the last two weeks researching a lot of, of what's going on in the new apostolic reformation. And I didn't want to find the fringiest examples, like because we can always find something bizarre online. I thought that wouldn't be fair if I just find some guy saying crazy things. Let me, go to, let me go to their main sources, wh where, where all the excitement is. And so I spent a lot of time on the Bethel uh, Church's website when they have their prophecy conferences. And a lot, of, a lot of music comes out of Bethel, by the way, and a lot of it's beautiful music. But, but we would be very careful because uh, Bethel Church teaches some very strange things. And so 
I spent a lot of time there. Also, the International House of Prayer and their, their talk about prophecy and interpreting dreams. It, it all gets quite strange and extra biblical and so very concerning as I, as I watched it. Seems to be a lot of emotion. So there's some of the things that I saw uh, kind of going into some of those worship services online, just watching them. Um, just a lot of emotion. Uh, again, beautiful music, creating an atmosphere. And then the leader up front claims to have this kind of direct line to God that you don't have. And he's given words and people are all excited to receive that word. So not a lot of excitement about what God has revealed, though they'll use some scriptures in it. It's, it's about what God's saying to me right now and the feeling I'm going to get. It's all very concerning. I saw in one of them the interpretation of a dream, um, and, and, and it was just very concerning. Like, uh, you ever had a dream where you were flying? I'm, I'm asking you, you ever had a dream where you were flying? I mean, some of us have had that kind of dream before. So one of the men from the congregation was pulled up on stage, and the, the guy who claimed that he could interpret dreams, it, it was almost like he was just doing word association. So what happened? You know that, so this guy flying said, so, "Well, that means God has you overcoming obstacles. Clearly, God's you're overcoming obstacles. You were flying where near a museum and in your old hometown. So this has to do with your heritage, <laughs> and um, and then uh, and you're moving into your destiny. It's all this vague kind of stuff. And the guy was excited to receive this word, but I'm thinking, I, I don't think I think any one of us could have done word association, and taken a stab at that guy's dream. Now, do we believe God can give people dreams? God can do it." I was thinking just uh, just a few moments ago, actually, while we were singing, I thought, about, oh, I remember on the mission field, I remember uh, being at a restaurant one day and a Muslim man said to me, he said, I had a dream last night that you would be here today. And I was like, that's interesting. And so I did the familiar gesture where you kind of do, you're always, this was kind of the gesture. We did a lot of hello and all that. So I, I tapped my chest once I understood what he was saying, you know, oh, you had a dream about me. But I tapped my chest and I realized I had a tract in his language. I'd just gotten them the night before. I had a tract that in my pocket that I never would have had on me in that very closed country. And I thought, oh, I have a tract. This man says he had a dream about me coming in. So I had to make sure even in that very high secure, can't share boldly type country, I thought I have got to give this tract to him. I was thinking about another one. Uh, there was a team of volunteers that years ago went into Pakistan. That's a, that's a risky place to go do work. And they had uh, Bibles that they were going to distribute along a river. And this team came back saying that a, that a Muslim man waved them over on the coast of the river and said, come over here. And he, he shared something very similar. I had a dream that there'd be some people bringing me a book that, would, that, that I needed or something like that. And uh, I think that's, that's pretty amazing. That's different than a person saying, I can interpret your dreams and you look at me. I have a direct line to God. But if God chooses to do that to, on, the, on the edges of the gospel, give people a revelation that confirms the gospel they're hearing or something like, praise God, he, he can do ever, whatever he wishes. I'm just saying very, very guarded when men and women put themselves up in that role here. It just does not carry a lot of credibility. Let me give you one other example. Again, this is not from the, this is not, I didn't have to search far for these. This is coming out of that Bethel movement, International House of Prayer movement, the New Apostolic Reformation. There's a guy that they look at like a hero among these prophets who's since gone to heaven. But while he was living, I found these on YouTube. This guy claims to take you on visits to heaven. He's such a prophet that, that, that he, you, you meet with him and he'll play music and it's very kind of hypnotically pretty. And then he'll kind of let you know that you're, you're about to go into the presence of God. You can climb up in the Father's lap. And, and he's it's basically guided meditation. But it's like, yes, 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 you, there, here we go. And, and it's just bizarre. 
in extra biblical, and you and I would say, I want to be very guarded against that. So, so my theology can tell me that God can do whatever he wishes, and we, we bow before God. But my discernment tells me that those who say they're prophets today, they are not. So how do we apply this message? Well, our move is to stay in the scriptures, to seek the Spirit's help, and to live this out. That we want to avoid any practice that might excite us, but harm the church. Again, delight in the scriptures, be discerning according to the scriptures. We also want to avoid being, going to the other extreme and becoming anti-supernatural. So we don't want to be people who think, well, God used to do stuff, but he doesn't do anything at all now. We just study history now. No, we, we are dealing with the living God. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, and he is indeed at work. He's empowering us. He's transforming us. He's maturing us. He's producing the fruit of the Spirit in us. And so we, we are definitely walking with the living God. So do you want to be prophetic in our day? What do you do? You open the Bible and you courageously teach the Word of God. You know you haven't erred if you're proclaiming the Bible. Be confident in the Scriptures. Be excited about this revelation. Listen, you want to be prophetic. Be bold with the gospel. Share the gospel with unbelievers in your life. In love, proclaim the gospel. Well, let's pray together. Lord, so much more we could talk about here. And, but we're asking again for your help in applying your word. Help us to be bold and excited about the truth you have revealed. This very sure word that we have. And Lord, help us not to be quiet with what you have revealed how men and women can be reconciled to you through the death of your son and resurrection. And so we are grateful for you. God, I do pray for those here today, even in a kind of interesting passage for maybe a first Sunday for someone. Lord, even today, would you bring conviction by your spirit, showing men and women that they need you to be their savior? Would you do the work of salvation today? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.